Welcome to this property podcast from EG. I'm Tim Burke, EG's Deputy Editor. This is a sustainability special recorded as part of an ESG-focused edition of EG, coming in early November. In this 30-minute conversation, I'm joined by Melanie Williams, Senior Partner at DWF, John Davies, Derwent London's Head of Sustainability, John Wright, Director of Sustainability and Head of the Bristol Office at Stride Traglown, and Ed Gabitas, Co-Founder and Executive Director at Evora Global. We talked about what John Davies called the roller coaster ride that property companies have been on as they put their sustainability and net zero plans in motion, the risks of businesses greenwashing in their ESG strategies, and our guests' advice to smaller companies just starting their journey. I was going to start with Derwin John, so to turn to you first. I think it's fair to say that the company's been, you know, ahead of the curve in a lot of areas here, not least green financing. We've had your colleague Jay Joshi discussing that on on this podcast before. Over the years that you've been there at the company in that sustainability role, what does the path look like for a company like like Derwent? How have you made sure that you've got the right people in the business talking about sustainability, but also then discovering what you can change in your assets, in your supply chain, in the business? What has that journey over the years looked like and what have you learned? Yeah, it's 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 certainly been a it's certainly been a roller coaster. So I've been with the business now ooh, nearly nine years, um, and you know we've we've come a long way. Um, and I certainly like to think that we've we've done a few things, um, and hopefully those few things have been a good few things. Uh, and I think the sort of the, the the apex of that has been our has been our sort of commitment to net zero, along with along with many of our peers and in the sector and those out, outside of the sector. But it's certainly been you know it's been a it's been a winding road um and i think the great strength that that, that our business has had is is the ability to think ahead and the ability to step back take a view and say right okay what what will our customers need in the future uh, what does it what does that mean for our business what does that mean for our, our products so the buildings and the spaces that we that we provide on the market and subsequently how should we react to that and i think that that's pretty much down to the sort of the the as I say that forward thinking nature that the leadership team at, at Derwent of, of which I'm lucky to be a part of um, has and I've been sort of very very blessed with being able to be allowed to sort of take a view uh, with the business and guide them through that uh, that journey and that's not to say that you know it's all it's all been plain sailing just like every business there's difficulties and there's commercial realities to face and there's um, you know, there's technicalities to face, um, particularly within real estate, and no doubt we'll come onto that <laughs> in a bit more detail later on. Some of the some of the snags and intricacies that our sector has, um, and you know, so where we see ourselves today uh, with the advent of net zero and you know the climate emergency and the the ever prominent rise of of ESG, I think that has now put us at a sort of a, a really interesting crossroads i think um because it's now the point that we you know we we have to commit and we have to take action and you know so lucky enough we've been putting those building blocks in place over those past nine years so i think we've got a we've got a a good uh, bank of experience behind us and, and some some really good 
blueprints that we can follow in terms of some of the properties and spaces we've developed, white collar factory, Brunel, et cetera, et cetera, that we've we've put out onto the market, which have been hugely successful and 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 not only for us in terms of in terms of lettings and, and in terms of bringing more people into the Derwent family, but also from a sustainability perspective, ESG perspective, what sorts of things we can try. So yeah, definitely it's been it's been a it's been a real sort of roller coaster ride, um, but certainly, you know, it's put us in, in a really good, really good position. Ed, so many of Evora's clients will will be at that at that crossroads that that John talks about there. Does his exploration there of what Derwin has been doing chime with the kind of messages you hear from real estate clients about the the opportunities that they're finding, but also as he puts it, you know, the snags, the intricacies that that this industry this industry has on this path. I think many people we talk to would like to be in the you know the leading group uh, that John and, and Derwent are in, but certainly facing similar struggles. And you know, in terms of is there pushback? Is it difficult to put in? Yeah, undoubtedly it's difficult. Um, it's getting easier um, certainly than it was when we started sort of ten years back. But I think it's it's really kind of identifying you know what's what's the purpose of your ESG vision. Um, that can help to integrate. So when we're talking to clients, it's really understanding why is it you want to do this? What's your purpose? Not necessarily from an um, environmental or social point of, point of view, but almost from a commercial standpoint, where do you want to position your company, you know, your funds against your, your peer groups? And then really honing in, well, what is it that you want to achieve? You know, what are the outcomes? What's material? to your funds, you know, where they're located and and the tenants that occupy the buildings. And I think in terms of reducing that sort of pushback, it's it's then identifying, well, how are you actually going to do this? What's the practical pathway to integrate um, your objectives and your vision into the investment process? So working across, you know, deal screening, investment decisions, ownership, potentially sale, What's the practical way of, of integrating uh, those ESG considerations? Um, so that's typically where, where we assist our clients. It's it's answering those you know, three simple questions, why, what, and how. Let me jump back to the first question that you asked about what's the purpose for this ESG agenda? How varied are the answers that you receive when you ask that? Increasingly, I think ESG is is no longer being seen as a luxury, um, and it, this is a broad statement. No longer purely being seen as a cost, it's now becoming a matter of risk management. And there has been a tipping point of people understanding: if you fail to address this, you're going to limit the pool of potentially investors that will work with you, um, tenants that want to be in your building, uh, employees that want to to work for your companies. Um, so I think a lot of it does come back to the commerciality, um, which is you know, where we like to see ESG sit, seeing the value from it. Um, and as I say, it's that, that sort of tipping point where people really kind of understand that if you fail to address this, you're going to be marginalised. You're not going to be able to raise as much capital. You know, you're going to impact your, your business in the longer term. I was talking very recently with um, an investment management house that I know is working with Avora on its own strategy. And the team there were making exactly that point that they all knew this was the right thing to be doing quite outside of the the commercial rationale. But also they were fast realizing that the people they needed to win business from would, would barely let them through the door to pitch for that 
that work if they weren't seen to be prioritizing these issues as as a at a group wide group wide level. Melanie, what's your take from from uh, talking to clients on um, on the sort of practical pathway that that real estate is is trying to find um, at the moment? As this as this becomes increasingly important, not just to the businesses but to the you know the other parties that they're trying to win work from, trying to strike deals with. Yeah, it's interesting hearing hearing you you all talk actually because I sit here with a couple of different hats on. Firstly, I sit here in the position of you know a, a partner within a legal business that is now a PLC um, and as a PLC business you know we're aligned to Derwin in, in that we need to have our own appropriate and implementable ESG strategy. Um, we need to embed it, we need to understand our purpose, it needs to be at the heart of what we do. Um, that then runs into you know what we do as a real estate you know real estate advisors um, and into the transaction documents, looking at what clients are doing, what due diligence needs to be done, what the risks are, um, our responsibility to the clients to you know advise them on that risk and advise them of how they can improve their their own ESG credentials. Um, so there's almost a dual a dual thing going on here for me in that I can see how important it is for all our client businesses, and that's what's great about being a PLC that we're actually in the same boat as a lot of our clients. Um, so, so that kind of helps us in in, a, in in being able to have that competitive edge um, because we've had to do all of this ourselves. Um, we've had to put in the governance to make sure that it's done appropriately. That's not to say that we weren't already doing it, but it just didn't really have the ESG banner. I mean, that's you know something that's becoming increasingly more recognisable. So we've had to sort of grapple with that, grab the strands that we've already got and, and identify what we didn't have. We've had to engage with stakeholders just as our clients have, and that includes our clients with our communities, with our lenders, with our investors, um, just as a lot of our clients have to engage with their investors. So we do understand the, the, the burden in some ways, but also the opportunity. Um, and we've had to put in appropriate governance. So we know we have a global head of ESG, who's a very brilliant Kirsty Rogers. Um, and she challenges and champions our ESG strategy at all levels. Uh, we have produced an ESG strategy. We've got an ESG leadership group. We integrated it into our risk management framework. We align with things like the UN Global um, Compact. We have the Environment and Anti-Corruption Sustainable Development Goals, UN Women's Empowerment Principles, UN 2030 Agenda. So we we understand all of that. So it puts us in a really good position with clients to both recognise when they're not seeing the things that they should be seeing to be able to help them. Um, but we can also help educate, we can do thought leadership, we can go through the various, what should we say, I think you said in the in the strapline hesitancies and really show that actually, you know, that hesitancy shouldn't be there, that people have to understand the shifting market dynamics, changing business models. And, you know, that's COVID, that's office working. Um, that's whether, you know, there'll be a full return to the office and there is a bit of a incompatibility in some ways to the way we used to work and ESG, how people engage and keep talent. I mean, there's so many aspects, but you know, we're, we're, we're in a good position on, on most of them because of who we are um, and how we've grown as a business. And that also goes into other jurisdictions as well. So, you know, there's also other challenges uh, in different jurisdictions. Some jurisdictions are more ahead than others, as we'll all know. Um, so, yeah, thought leadership we do, we share best practice. Uh, we look at advising on procurement and bidding, uh, we look at regulation, we look at green leases and green financing. Um, 
and we see that you know that helps us grow and prosper it's long-term um short-term investment long-term benefit uh we help clients along the way i mean that's what we're here to do john from the architectural perspective how are the topics that that we're talking about here shifting the the way that you work the kind of discussions you're having with clients what you and colleagues look to achieve with with the schemes that you're working on Uh, i guess it's an interesting challenge i mean we we come at this um having been interested and involved in sustainable design i suppose forever um We've always had that that sort of, or certainly since I've been with the business, which is um, the best part of 25 years now. Um, sustainability has always been something, but it's not always part of everything we do. Um, we are we are we're always led by our clients. Um, they're becoming more increasingly aware of ESG, and you know where we come at it, it's primarily around actually the sustainability of the building. Um, increasingly, the social value aspect of how that building might um, might put my work in in its in, in its um, locality. Um, certainly, public sector clients, particularly, um, we surprisingly do a fair amount of work with Bristol City Council. They now attribute 20% of all marks for any tender based on social value. All their procurement is so any of their whether they're doing JVs or whether they're looking to sell sites, that's all um, part of how they're embedding social value into the work that they're looking at. And it's something that actually. We've in the last uh, in the last uh, it's just over six months now I suppose we became a B Corp, um, which is is something which I think is still relatively fringe. Um, and and certainly when one of our directors said I think we should do this, the rest of us had to probably had to go and look it up and look into a bit more detail into it. But it's 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 opened our our world I suppose into a um, a, a more hardcore group of businesses that have looked at ESG and embedded that completely into into the business and it's something which i think when we originally looked at it we thought oh that could be really difficult but actually we've been doing an awful lot of things that we needed to do to to satisfy the, the requirements of b Corp. but um uh we just needed to codify them so as a business actually we're now having conversations with um with clients where we can say no we, we can help you in that process um of the, the social value elements the sustainability of buildings actually whilst it's been developing massively over the last sort of five years um has been developing you know ever since i ever since i started in architecture was we were all taught it it's just it was it was something that was more fringe and something that was actually very difficult to do um you know now we're talking about using passive house standards on um on all sorts of buildings and building to incredibly tight airtightness standards um and actually at some point we might actually get to to building um really high quality net zero buildings um at the moment i think there is still quite a lot of lip service being paid by by some of our clients and certainly some of our larger investor clients um where the the values probably still aren't there to 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 drive up um particularly refurbishments um to to get them to a standard which you know, even to a, a new build standard, let alone a net zero carbon standard. Uh, and when you're spending, you know, significant sums of money on a building on a, on a sort of once in maybe 10 years refurbishment program, if you're spending that now, you're not you know, going to be well past 2030 by the time we come around and look at those buildings again. So 
I think we're probably on the cusp where it becomes absolutely embedded into everything. But up until now, it's it's quite unusual still for it to be um, really pushed. That idea of companies paying, as you put it, lip service to this topic, uh, the risk of of greenwashing, of of action just not matching up with with the rhetoric. Ed, how how real is the the risk of that for real estate as an industry? It, I think it's significant, and there's been a couple of recent stories. I won't call them out, but there's been some significant share price chips off the back of yeah. not just greenwashing, but also the potential consequence of future compliance. So thinking in in the UK with the minimum energy efficiency standards and EPC ratings, with some REITs um, having advisory notes put against them that the cost to upgrade their portfolio is going to take a a big hit on on the the, um, net asset value. Um, And that had an impact on on share pricing. I think in terms of the Closing out greenwashing, it's been interesting. Again, in, in recent weeks, there's, you may be familiar with um, the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulations, which is trying to list if funds you know, are promoting uh, E and S, environmental and social characteristics, to a in simplified form, a light green or, or dark green um, sort of manner. The Dutch government recently sort of reviewed some of these submissions and was quite you know, scathing about the quality. Um, in the UK, the FCA, not under the guise of SFDR, but equally wrote a letter um, outlining um, uh, that some of the ambitions or some of the wording in ESG label products wasn't satisfactory and people hadn't done enough to really accurately draw out the, the design, delivery and disclosure elements of their funds. So it's it's interesting that the regulators are starting to crack down on this. Ultimately, um, it will be the investors that that hold their investment managers to account. If people are starting to put forward um, these objectives and programs, and they're not able to back it up with actions. Melanie, you've been nodding throughout. What's your, yeah, what's I mean, your view on this challenge? Well, exactly. Well, as a lawyer and in a, being in a business that's recently gone through an IPO, if you're making disclosures in your your documentation that you, you're doing certain things and you're not, then obviously you've got serious implications um and 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 that scrutiny is going to increase i've seen those articles ed recently as well there's one in australia um that, you know it, it, it's, it's just starting to get more frequent that people are getting challenged on this and it's not just in in terms of breaking the law but it's in terms of your reputation um a lot of what we you know we've been touching on is about investors and whether investors i think it's actually in one of the questions whether investors are looking for the ability to invest in sustainable you know companies that are involved in sustainable practices as well they'll equally do the opposite and I think John mentioned you know about there being a certain feeling about things if they're not sustainable it's almost like you know you'd give people now who are smoking in the street a, a, a wide berth wouldn't you well the same will come if people are you know caught out lying about their sustainability credentials um, just as in the future you know getting people into buildings which probably feeds into to what Derwent are doing, getting people to occupy buildings that aren't sustainable. They'll just be the same. They won't want to be there. Um, so, so it's quite an interesting, that whole reputation on that feeling about certain certain buildings and certain companies is now um, coming into the market. John, what's Derwent's sort of experience as a PLC here from in terms of the 
changing message that you're getting from investors? I mean, we hear all the time that this is this is rising uh, further up the agenda for for the investment funds. It's no longer you know regarded as a sort of simply a box to be ticked. How has the how has the dialogue that you're having with investors as a you know a high profile PLC changing? Um, yeah, I think they're maturing is is the word that I would use. Um, and I think um, certainly investors are getting a lot more inquisitive and a lot more um, uh, and a lot more uh, tooled up in terms of the knowledge around um, ESG, particularly environmental matters, uh, particularly at the moment. And most of that is centered around uh, climate risk. Um, so particularly from sort of the mainland Europe um, investment community, they've always been um, interested in this particular subject matter. US Pan-Asian, less so, um, but that is actually changing very, very swiftly. We've noticed, you know, particularly in the past two, three years, um, a much quicker sea change there in terms of wanting to know more. Um, and maybe administration changes have helped sort of stoke that that interest a little bit more and on, on, on that side of the pond. Um, and we've noticed that, you know, more tools and techniques are being released. You know, CREM is the latest one to sort of hit the streets in terms of um, a tool that, you know, the investment community can use to look into portfolios and, and understand, you know, this issue around stranding, the stranding of assets um, and using that as a quality indicator for, a, for an organisation. Um, you know, and I think, you know, that's encouraging to see, um, you know, we we often see ourselves or perceive ourselves as 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 an enabler for a lot of investment uh, products and uh, and and a, a lot of um, in investment organisations because ultimately we're the ones that have to provide the certainty to those organisations that the investments are or their fund that they've created of which we're likely to be a part is doing what it's supposed to do. So Ed mentioned about SFDR. So effectively, in English, what that means is your ESG ingredients list for your fund, basically, you know, what what's what's on the tin. Um, and organisations like us have to provide um, that information back up the chain to say, OK, well, this is what we're doing on climate change or, you know, people related issues or governance related issues. You know, here's how we, you know, in, in the real estate sector at the moment, there's, there's a sort of a fantastic um, sort of array of various indices which we get scored and measured by whether we take part in it or whether it's done to us you know there's there's there's, there's that as well people want to understand the numbers they want to understand how many gold stars you have they want to understand how what your percentages are you know how does that derive you know what does your reporting look like so you know we spend you know crikey we my team and myself we must spend at least three four five months of the year responding to that you know and after every in set of interim results that we do myself uh, you know paul damien uh, and other executive directors you know we're sat around the table talking about esg you know not only you know the financials and what's the state of the market and and, and all the and all the sort of the, the fairly run-of-the-mill type questions they want to know what's your epc profile looking like you know um what's your uh, what's your tc you know, do you understand what tcfe tcfd is are you disclosing against it you know, are you using the CREM tool to understand your 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 climate resilience and your stranding risk, et cetera, et cetera? So it's it's it it's ramping up uh, definitely, um, which is exciting and it's good for me because it kind of sort of enables me to sort of you know articulate what we do and and how we do it. Um, but it will be interesting to see how you know how the smaller organisations start to react to that. And and one thing I am sort of wary of is that potentially we're not overloading 
the system a little bit. So organisations like us, we're we're prepared for it, but we are but one organisation amongst a sort of slightly smaller group who have who have got to this place at slightly quicker than others. But we need to get everybody else moving at that same speed and we need to get others, you know, talking fluently and feeling comfortable talking about it and preventing them from stepping into that greenwashing trap, which sometimes happens inadvertently, not maliciously. Um, and sometimes it's just, you know, a lack of, of experience and insight, I think, which, you know, you know, a couple of mistakes are made. And, and as Melanie mentioned, sometimes and, and Ed mentioned as well, sometimes that sort of reputational tarnish can have a, a financial impact where someone might say, right, I'm pulling out or, uh, you know, just the general sort of, you know, uh, sort of awkwardness and embarrassment of a, of, a, of, a, of a negative headline somewhere. I'm really interested in that idea of smaller companies that maybe are just starting out on this journey, because I feel like the four of us here are, are talking about quite well, quite well established strategies um in well-established businesses um but i wonder if if there's an employee of let's say a smaller real estate company listening to this discussion and thinking do you know what as a business we're not even beginning to be where we need to be on this i want to have a chat with with some of my colleagues maybe some people higher up in the business than me and and work out what we should be doing um i wonder what you would each sort of offer them as a piece of advice one simple step that they could put in place that would that would help them move from sort of talking about this into action. Um, to to our other John, I wonder if I could turn to you first on on that. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I'm not sure that we qualify as, as a sort of particularly big business in that sense, but um, we have about 350 people, so we're quite big in the architectural world. But that's a minnow in in the kind of industry. <laughs> I think our bigger impact obviously is on on the buildings we design and the input we have on on them. Um, but we do deal with, you know, we, we deal with um, developers and funds from the, the very big to quite small local developers who, as, as you say, are, are, you know, nowhere even near starting their journey. And I think for them, it, it probably is actually go and talk to some of the bigger, um, probably people like who have actually gone down that journey very much more quickly because it's, it's not being done by... Um, uh, sort of hair-shirted um, hippies who are doing this kind of stuff. It, it's people are doing this for very good reason. It, it's it, it's good business. It's, it it your your the product you're creating in terms of the developer is is not going to be worth anywhere near as much if you ignore this or come at it very late. I think smaller, um, maybe more regional developers are, are nowhere near that. But if they're trying to sell on to to the bigger funds or indeed to get funding. Uh, they need to be right on top of it. And I think there's also, as you know, others will know better than me as well, but it's being pushed from the other end. Actually, if you want if you want to, to get tenants in your buildings, um, people are being driven by their staff, not even by um, by organisations, to, to produce better buildings that, that satisfy that, that sort of um, millennial generation Z wanting to be in better buildings. So you're, you're you're cutting off both ends if you're not looking at um, yeah. looking at producing a good ESG building from a sort of smaller business point of view. Um, B Corp actually, you know, that's again there are very big businesses, very small. I suspect the um, the administration of going through a B Corp process for a smaller businesses is too onerous. But we've had conversations with other architects and they said well, we'd be really interested in that but there's only three of us 
compensable as with i suppose some of the sort of rating systems for smaller buildings you don't necessarily have to go and do all the, the the formalization of it but actually just go and look at it go and look at all of the headings and all of the things that you need to be looking at as a really good and actually um b lab who run who run the accreditation process b corp will you know allow you access and allow you to do sort of dummy runs to see where you would sit um, if you did do a formal process and actually it just starts to highlight where maybe you're not performing that well because they're tailored to an industry so if, you, if you're a developer you'll get a different set of um, criteria to a lawyer or to an architect or to somebody who's you know manufacturing or constructing or whatever so i think that's actually a good pointer um in, in terms of how you're running your business and the product that you're creating for me just on the the, the large versus sort of small um, and probably starting with a bit of a downbeat sort of observation. So, you know, the gap is huge, really, between what the, the big players are doing and the small players. And the challenges within the real estate investment market is that the, the supply of top quality buildings is so uh, so low and there's so much equity washing around. Small players at the moment can get away without fully implementing ESG and still still get access to capital so i'd like to say that um you know the the scaling up on esg is going to be market driven my feeling is though it's probably going to be regulatory or, or potentially after some sort of shock events you know seeing what's happened yeah. sort of after covid um, but i think the good starting point or maybe a more positive note you know in terms of how you get going it's 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 upskilling it's awareness you know it is a new language that we're talking about net zero and there needs to be a collaboration between the technical community that understands you know, the science and the engineering buildings and you know, the fund and asset managers and um, financiers who look after the, the management of that capital. And there needs to be a coming together so that you can you know, address the climate crisis and really achieve um, the, the, the impact and scale that's needed on this. Completely agree with that, Ed. And one of the other collaborators to all of this are government, councils who own um, premises and land and tenants, of course, because you've got to take people with you. So, I mean, I know, John, you'll agree with this, but, you, you know, you need appropriate provisions to, to work together in your transaction documents so that there is sharing of the energy consumption and the ability to have um, groups get together to work out how they can decrease that we're seeing that more and more in the documentation that we're drafting and negotiating and we're we're advising clients that they should have it in their documentation not just if they're landlord but also if they're tenant or if they're looking to forward fund um, and they're looking for a forward funding because the forward funds are going to require it so it's becoming it is becoming an industry standard but there is a lot of collaboration still to do just on the smaller business point as well I, I mean I think sometimes it's easier for small smaller businesses um, on ESG because large businesses they can be like oil tankers oil tankers is a good good example isn't it to, to change direction and yeah. you know you've got all the governance that goes with it and all the you know even your articles and mem memorandum you need to think about that so sometimes it's easier John absolutely B Corps we point clients in the direction of B Corp all the time because we think that's a really good framework for them to look at and Ed on your climate change point um, you know, and and I can't remember who said about employees and whether they want to where they want to work and where they want to be, and the next the next generation. And my kids, you know, they're 14 and 18. 
they're telling me all the time that we've got to get with the program. They don't want to work in a dirty building. They don't want to drive a dirty car. Um, you know, one of our kids said to us the other day when we were debating getting an electric car and when will we have to get rid of the diesel? He, you know, what what date by which do we have to do that? He looked that up and then said, yeah, but now look at when climate change is not reversible. So, you know, the next generation, they get all this. And we, we've, we've all got, we're all older on this call. So we've got to get with the programme because that, that's just the direction of travel. Yeah, I, just want, I wanted to sort of expand on, on Melanie's point very quickly, if I may, about of the, the sort of the sort of David and Goliath sort of analogy that you you apply to um, ESG is, is, you know, the preserve of those who have, you know, heavy, heavy amounts of resources, heavy amounts, whatever those resources are, whether they're intellectual or financial. But use use your um, strengths and use your abilities. And what I say with, with smaller companies, the agility is key. And likewise, the business models that some of the smaller smaller prop co's have are really agile, really quick, and that will enable you to move more quickly. And it will enable you to um, to successfully implement some of the ESG measures. But what I would also say is don't is is yes, it might look scary, but actually like anything, when you break it down to into its constituent parts and you start logically and methodically just working through it, you'll be amazed how it all starts to come together. And you know, if if I was, you know, putting my old days consultancy hat back on, I suppose as my client hat uh, off, um, I would say, look, you know, ult ultimately you can start walking through this, but don't copy and paste. A, pr a program out of somebody else's book and put it into yours because it won't fit look at your business model look at what that is and weave esg into it don't try and stick it into it if that makes sense um, and you'll be amazed that once you start weaving it through the way that you do business whether you're transactional whether you hold whatever whatever it is that you do you'll be amazed at how it comes how it comes together but what i would say is, is you can't avoid it because ultimately it is here to stay so myself and others we're, we're always more than happy to talk to our own and and offer up advice etc cetera, etc cetera, about what we've done and how we don't the mistakes that we've we've made um and the progress that we've made as, as a result of that but yeah but i would say please 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 get get started if you can encouragement there for companies big and small Thank you to our guests for joining us and thanks to you for listening. You can find more ESG news, features and commentary from EG on our dedicated hub at egi.co.uk forward slash sustainability.